This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Road studios in the crack part of Soho, and from the kitchen counter, Rog, my air conditioning's broken, I'm burning up. West Hollywood, California, it's the Many Blazers podcast. We're back! Oh, my name is now officially, legally, Roger Arlison. <laughs> I'm changing my name to Wayne Rooney, Rog, after last night. I'm telling you that. Oh, mate, Real what, what an inspiration he is. Tenacity, skill, determination. He, he, he was good at football. We knew that, but last night was a night we learned. Wayne, he's, he's also pretty good at soccer. Saka, who's amazing at soccer. I'm not sure that that's a play that's even happened in MLS. That was so many people who I honestly believe have never seen an MLS game, game let alone a football game, sent me that link this morning. Yeah. And I feel like they were sending it to me thinking, oh, we've discovered a great new unheard of footballer called Wayne Rooney who's going to be the future of American soccer. <laughs> I don't think they've got any idea of his narrative story. Oh, God, just love it. Watch it. Savor that moment. It's everything that makes you feel alive about football. I mean, in the dying seconds of a must-win game, which is what that was for DC United, even though they think they've okay. got 15 games left in the season. But it was like watching Luke Keekley just obliterate an opponent, obliterate an opponent with just the most explosive tackle. And then suddenly morph before our eyes into Tom Brady, heave a bloody Hail Mary to Gronk as the seconds ticked off the clock. It was... It was an incredible competitor. It was skill. It was sheer force of will. I watch it whenever I feel a bit down, when I can't finish my mile on the, in the gym, Davo. Wayne Rooney says, never, ever give up. It was Churchillian. Davo, I feel like I've not spoken to you in ages. How's your summer been? I know, not since Atlanta, not for a week and a half. Well, I've been with you almost all... I've been with you more than I have been with my wife and my own kids, David, so you know exactly how my summer's been. It's been delirious. Taking in the West Coast, taking in the East Coast, taking in a bit of Moscow with J-Dubs. We've been together a lot, but I haven't seen you for a long time, Davo. What, 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 what have I missed in, in, in Davo line? Catch me up. I mean, like a lot. I've, been, I've traveled a lot, Rog. I've been like making shows for Netflix. I've been like working at Sony. Uh, I've been traveling with you around the country. We went and did the golf in Scotland. Uh, oh, I went on a few days vacation to London and Ibiza, which is all purely classified. Um, but I mean, for me, if you're asking me my highlight of the summer, it was really going through the World Cup with my son, George. The first World Cup for which he was football conscious. He just lived and died with every moment, every breath. It's my son's discovery of football and also coming into a world where England aren't crackers. He's not burdened by those penalty losses. He's only ever seen one penalty shootout that England played. And at Chelsea, I guess he's watched the Champions League one on tape. And like his teams have won both of them. The most amazing, amazing gift at the beginning of his life. Certainly, Roger, that was my highlight. How about you? What was the highlight of your summer? Uh, I think for me, it was definitely Atlanta, delirious Atlanta, <laughs> being in the just the loving arms of a, a land that Americans always said football would never take root in, and it has, and then some. Just being in Atlanta, being on stage, celebrating the, the delirious Atlanta story uh, with their fan base was just a joy that is going to carry me all the way through to 2026. But when I think about this summer, the weirdest interaction we've had that you probably will tell better than me 
was, and it's kind of become a hard hook story after the PGA at the weekend. Now the Tiger Woods is back. Um, our Tiger Woods encounter, David, at the Open in Carnoustie. <laughs> When it was like, but it wasn't really an encounter. Was that an encounter? I'd say it was a brush. I think technically it was a brush. I think we brushed against greatness. We were we 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 broadcast from Carnoustie. It was fairly exhausting work covering golf, where you are, you know, soccer's ninety minutes of adrenaline. Golf is like it's it, it's ten hours of covering something to create a television show. We have a tiny team. It's really Dave, myself, J Dubs, <laughs> trying to cover an entire golf course and it was hard bloody work we, we were shattered day two i must say it's the tiredest i've ever been covering an event the the, the 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 golf channel people are amazing they were so joyous to work with that's really what carried us through and we were doing a late night hit after the second day of golf uh, we were going to be interviewed um and we had to go to the scorers uh, area where the the golfers are interviewed right after they finish their rounds and Tiger was being interviewed before us. And I was just so shattered. My, my mind was just frazzled. My legs were dead. My arms, were, I couldn't even lift them from my side. A bit like Peter Cech when he plays in goal for Arsenal. And I turned to you as we're waiting to go on. And I just turned to Davo and I just said, Davo, I'm so tired. I was almost crying. I said, I, can't, I don't even know what my name is anymore. And just at that second, Davo, what happened? Well, we were standing in this special area waiting to be interviewed. Tiger was on the other side of the rope at the putting green. I could see him there. And at that moment, I just have to say a large English... Unit. A large English knob, but not large as in any way hard. It was like Alfie Mawson if he'd never discovered the weight room. And he walked towards us with, like, arms out in a bizarre way. Yeah. I, I actually thought it was a fan, to be honest. I thought it was a GFOP walking towards us because his arms were out. I thought he was in an embrace. And I just said to yeah. Dave, I don't even know what my name is anymore. And he just said, I need to know who you are. I need <laughs> to know who you are. And he said it sort of in a way that it was like friendly. Yeah. It was not, well, not friendly. It's just as though he's a guy who lacked, I mean, we found out later he was a security guy, but he lacked any kind of hardness. This was not probably the greatest career choice for somebody that soft picture, to go and become a like security man. If the Simpsons had a, a version of an overzealous security guard, like just commando rolling around just for the sake of it. But I didn't know it at the yeah. time. I had just finished saying, I don't know what my name is anymore. And there's this guy. I thought he was joking with me. What? I need to know your name. I need to know your name. And I just turned to him, so shattered. What? I don't even. What? What did I say, David? I can't even remember what you said. Oh, I said to. I was just looking at him, thinking. I, I'm just. I was thinking. I was thinking double jab. Right hook, left of the body, he's down. That was all I was thinking at this point. Uh, I, I did, hated him. I just turned around to him and I just said, I just, I turned around to him and said, I don't even know who I am anymore. Who am I? And that completely panicked the Simpsons version of an overzealous security guard. And in my memory of it, this part didn't happen. He, he kind of ran quickly over to another security, his boss, to try and tell him there were, there were intruders on the perimeter. In my imagination, he kind of commando rolls over to his boss and leopard crawls over to him really crazily. But he didn't do that. He just kind of ran over very quickly, about to call a red alert because Tiger's over there by the rope and we're obviously here to kill Tiger. And it turns out it's like the, the, the English Golf Association's security guard who just shadows Tiger everywhere. I always find, Tiger, I know you listen, I always find that the best kind of security guards try and create a ruckus and a whole commotion and try and create a sense of general panic and craziness. I, did, I missed one line. I did turn around to him 
at a certain point as he was staring at me and saying, who the f*** are you anyway? I did say that. I've just left that part out of the story. And did we, you? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, that's, that's what triggered him to, like, commando roll away. Oh, really? But, yeah, I didn't remember that. But I did find out later, and this is the great kick-up of, uh, of British security, which really makes me feel quite secure in the future. On Men in Blazers, as you all know, dear listeners, I always wear a pin, a large button, an oversized button with someone I love on it. And at the golf, I'd fallen in love with the Thai golfer, Kiradesh Apibarnrat, the barn rat, this 280-pound kind of golfer. He's like, think Andy Carroll if he was Thai. And he vapes up and down the course. He's so awesome. I just adore this human being. And I had Kiradesh Apibarnrat on my button. Um, and what it turns out was the thing that had panicked Tiger Woods' dedicated security person, not Tiger's security person, but the person given by British Golf, was that he thought, that the person on my button wasn't the famous golfer, 128th in the world, barn rat. He thought it was Kim Jong-un, dictator of North Korea. <laughs> Which I'm, still, I'm still not sure I believe that part of the it's story. It's true, mate. People uh, from NBC Sports told us. It's we should true. say that, the, that our publicist from NBC Sports immediately stepped in and said, these are the men in Blazers, they're going to go and be interviewed for the Golf Channel, and to which he was this, this utterly ridiculous man, was completely and utterly crestfallen. Oh, he we loved should it. say, yep. Tiger, if you want an English security guard, get someone like former SAS, former Parrot, uh, former Special Public Services, somebody like that, like somebody properly hard. You don't go and get the guy who, who you know, is the, 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 the vice captain of his local golf club in Hertfordshire, honestly. Get Jordan Henderson. Man. Get Jordan Henderson, oh, mate. He'll, he'll, he'll look after He'll watch you back. I did find, though, just in general, and I know a lot of English security guards listen to the pod, just in general, nine out of ten North Korean assassins do not wear a badge with Kim Jong-un on it to announce the fact that the glorious dictator has sent them to assassinate, or not assassinate, Tiger Woods. Yeah. It's just... Uh, they're agents. They don't. They, they take off the badge. They wear the badge probably when they're just le- doing leisure activities around the base in North Korea. But when they come, when they come to bring it, when they come to kill, normally the badge is worn behind the uh, behind the blazer collar and not at the top of it. Just uh, just throwing that one out for free. Thank God the football's back though, Dave. A sport we actually know something about. Yeah, I know. DC United, Rog. We've got a packed show. We taught Man City's Pep Guardiola. Picking up right where he left off, Matty Gray Crunet, and convincing 2 0 victory over Arsenal. We applaud Liverpool's 4 0 beatdown of West Ham, a game that saw Nagby Caper smash his audition to round out the Fab Four, and we break down wins for Man United, Chelsea, Spurs, but not Everton. Sorry, Rog. I'll take it. Big point, big point. I'll take it, David. But first, <laughs> to the football, a toast. And I want to raise the first bud of the Premier League season to Premier League football, being back in our lives. I won't be candid. When Manchester United took the field against Leicester on Friday afternoon, I'm not too big to admit it. I sobbed. I broke down with tears at the prospect of the 380 Premier League games which just lay ahead of us, scattered over 276 days. And I wrote this on Premier League Eve. I wrote that at its purest, a Premier League season is a public heartfelt disintegration of hope in the safest possible way. And this season, no matter what team you support, big or small, you know, an old contender or one of our new friends like tiny plucky little Cardiff, let us vow to cling on to the positivity and hope that we feel for as long as we can. My motto for the 2018-19 football season ripped off 
from Dostoevsky, the Russian writer who we enjoyed in Moscow, J-Dubs and I, because uh, I'm sure he meant this to be about Premier League football. He wrote, to live without hope is to cease to live. That's how I'm going to approach this season, Dave. Full of hope, bud fam, blood fam, courage. OK, Arsenal nil, Man City 2. The defending champs take a very casual pee in the punch at new Arsenal manager Unai Emery's welcome luncheon. City struck first on just 14 minutes with Raz Rods, Raz, leaving Pedacek nailed his line from 20 yards. The visitors doubled their lead on 64 minutes with a thumping Bernardo Silva finish. And that's how it ended. The bald buzzsaw that is Pep does not skip a beat while the post Arsene era gets off to a somewhat uninspired start at the Emirates for a tough first game for Arsenal, Rush. Yeah, I mean, we've got to raise a bud to 22 years of Arsene Wenger that we've just moved past, a new era at Arsenal, the Unai Emery age. And let's just say, Premier League scriptwriters, you are cruel, cruel, sadistic bastards flinging that new Arsenal right in against, well, first defending champions Manchester City and then Chelsea. That is cruelty. Manchester City, really, that peerless squad bolstered by the arrival of Riyad Mahrez. It is so odd to see him switching allegiances, a bit like a footballing Steven Seagal. But before we talk about Emery, I've got to ask you this, Davo. What do you think Arsene Wenger did Sunday morning while all this went down? You know, like, do you imagine him just pottering around home in his pyjamas, maybe staining some antique Louis XVII French furniture, or reading, like, some Voltaire, some bleak philosophy, sipping a Hennessy Paradis Imperial? I don't know. I wonder if he was watching. I have no idea in the sort of the post then era, or, by the way, what he would have made of the performance. I mean, if he like, was complaining about every call or seeing that Man City weren't getting a break, I wonder if he practiced his post-match comments. He, had a, he typed up something. He's built a little um, Emirates press room in his, in his uh, basement and he's still giving out little press conferences. I love that. At KB Ward 61 tweeted the probably the right answer. Arsene, he's dominating Fortnite. I, I, I can really imagine Wenger just hitting 360, no scope for the dub. Then I realised, here's where I imagine Wenger is, David. And I put money on this. I put a lot of money on this. I bet you it was Wenger inside the Gunnosaurus costume for the opening game. I'm pretty sure it was him because Gunnosaurus, he did seem oddly stiff. And Arsenal fans, if you're listening, just test Gunnosaurus next week so we can be sure about my hunch. Hand him a long anorak, challenge Gunnosaurus to zip it up with his big furry mitts. And I just want to wonder what kind of pain Wenger feels in that Gunnosaurus costume when he has to wait at the entrance to the Emirates and do that Gunnosaurus high-five welcome to Unai Emery. God, mascot heartbreak, Davo. It's the deepest kind of heartbreak. How did you feel watching new Arsenal? Like? It actually, suddenly, I like Arsenal more. And I know that sounds awful because I should have more respect for Arsene Wenger. But I now feel like Arsenal are going to have to start all over again. By the way, very similar to sort of Chelsea. These are, we're watching bands work out new material right now. And I'm, I'm going to be charitable. I'm going to let these bands work out their new material. I'm going to say, yeah, well, yeah that's, that's got some promise. It's not like the old hits, but it could be something. <laughs> And so I actually feel there's a weird feeling for me yeah. that suddenly this has opened the door yeah. for me to be a little bit more pro-Arsenal. Some Davo observers have noticed, Rog, that this is the first season that I've not written Arsenal's title to lose before the season has even started. I'm trying to turn over a new leaf in my attitude towards Arsenal football club. I think you're vicariously projecting your fear about Chelsea onto another entity that's somewhat in the same boat. But I do like that theory that they're just workshopping some new tunes. 
I like yeah. that theory for <laughs> Arsenal. But I, I know for so many of my Arsenal mates, many of them travel from the US so that they could be there to support the dawn of this new era, you know, to, to support Emery, to reinforce, I think, their own sense of desperate forced optimism. And I'll say I, I felt an anxiety, which I don't normally feel for Arsenal Football Club in those early exchanges. Like The same kind of thing, and I, I tweeted about this, watching this Arsenal was like the same feeling I had watching that movie 8th grade, you know, where, where the protagonist and people who've watched it will know what this means. Kayla Day in the swimming pool scene as she tried to fit in by holding her breath and having a hold-the-breath race against somebody else. You just know how much you want it to go well, but you also know that disaster is inevitably just around the corner. And as I was thinking about that, Dave, Raz scored. I know, Raz, of all the people. Raz, who we forgot after his amazing season last year at Manchester City, he had uh, an okay World Cup, a satisfactory uh, World Cup, Rob. Certainly wasn't one of England's stars uh, in Russia, but there he is. Not a bad goal. Charging onwards, past Bellerin, past 19-year-old debutant. Quite a good debut to be candid, Gwendouzi. A moment of Arsenal's weak gut of old. And, oh, Peter Cech. Old man Peter Cech. Such a liability. Too old, too tired, or maybe just too defeated to even bother getting his arms up. It was all so easy. Peter Cech yourself before you wreck yourself. And like that, it felt title race over, bro. Title race over. But it wasn't, David, because old Arsenal, of which you are an expert in, wouldn't they have crumpled? You know, and as much as Emery's job is about personnel and tactics, much of his biggest challenge is psychological to imbue a confidence into a culture that's lacked it for at least five years. And in this game, I was actually impressed. They weren't meek. They weren't beta. There was some feistiness. There was Ramsey. There was Bellerin. There was that boy band debutant Gwendouzi, who I thought was courageous, occasionally accident-prone though cruelly exposed uh, by Xhaka. And they, to me, Arsenal seemed to take the goal on the chin. They were feisty. They were committed. They were game. Yeah, and I thought they looked defensively. I'm not sure that I ever thought Man City were in danger of losing this game, but I also felt that Arsenal looked a little bit tougher uh, down the spine. And you're so right about Pedacek. He's, he's old. He looked slower. When Lacazette came on, the Emirates, it did crackle with a little belief that it came alive. The players were charging forward. They did get performance anxiety in the box. In that, in, in the box, Arsenal, this Arsenal, it was like watching, and many of you listeners will know it, when you go into a public bathroom and you, you come by someone who's just standing in front of the urinal and, and really trying hard to make it rain, but not able to make it rain. That's what Arsenal ultimately were like in this game. But you did feel, as you hint, that it was all a bit City biding their time to punish the inevitable Arsenal mistake, which you would have. I mean, with that back line, with Socrates, with Mustafi, with Czech, there was always an accident about to happen. And it was Bernardo Silva charged towards the ball, thrashed it emphatically uh, past a oh, shockingly impotent uh, Czech. And that was, uh, that was really it. How would you sum up Arsenal, Davey, on the evidence of all of one game? I think everything I said before, they're a work in progress. I mean, look, this whole preseason, Rog, I sort of felt I was going to say something to before we started, but the season has started before anyone is ready. Yeah. You know, Man United, Jose Mourinho is the one who's got, gone out there most publicly and said it, but no one is ready. So and true. I'm really willing for the first five or six games of this season to give everyone a pass. We can read way too much into these first games. By the way, the Premier League, 
there is no league in the world that is less ready to kick off than the Premier League every single year. It's ridiculous with how valuable every single point is, how unprepared so many teams are to go into the season. I think English clubs have got to look at their pre-season. They've got to go and look at, certainly got to look at this ridiculous transfer window business because no one's ready. Even more so in a World Cup year, Davo, where these players, yeah, many no, of them didn't absolutely. even arrive till last week. These are teams that are still very much works in progress. I mean, for me, watching Arsenal, there were green shoots if you want to see them. I mean, I do believe old Arsenal would have bent over, assumed the position, just taken a 4-0 bear or spanking. Um, I, I tweeted that and John Green laughed and said that is the most backhanded compliment of all time. Yeah, you're less crap now. But to me, that's a positive. You're also less protruding of nipple than in past years, which is a positive or a negative depending what your nipple POV is. But there's still a lot of dead wood. Gary Neville on Sky, I think, said it's going to take three or four transfer windows for Arsenal to overhaul the current squad. At the Rington, 2002 tweeted us to say, and I love this, Mustafi, potentially the worst player to wear an Arsenal jersey, and that includes the fans. But as football people, we often don't want to allow ourselves to see the positive. We do want clubs to fit our own narrative about them. I'll say this, Emery needs, he doesn't just need, he deserves time to bed his philosophy, his tactics, to get the negative psyche that has just gripped the Emirates for so long. Just as Pep got time, we've got to resist knee-jerk judgments. All those major outlets who have no doubt photoshopped Emery out signs that are ready to go if they lose to Chelsea, just put them away. But City, David, no one has retained the title since 2009. Is it even worth discussing? Can City do it? Look, I mean, I think when Jurgen Klopp took on Pep a little bit in uh, pre-season saying that, you know, they're still the underdogs and the Man City have got all the pressure on them and Pep responds by saying, you think I haven't dealt with this my whole career of dealing with, like, having the pressure on me? You know, you try and, like, come up with something new. You know, Man City, they are the, uh, they are the champions-elect this year. I think it's going to be a much closer title race because... Frankly, there are no excuses for the contenders, Rog. This year, Liverpool can't like finish third or second and say, look how much progress we're making. Liverpool and their fans and their, everybody's gone out there and saying, like, we can contend for this title. They got to the Champions League final next year. They've got to go and take them on. I think Tottenham, even though they did nothing in the transfer window, Tottenham was like, this is a team that's got to go and win a title. And Jose Mourinho, unless he contends, I don't think he has to win the title this year against Man City. But he has to contend. It's got to be a close race. He's got to fight off Liverpool. He can't slip back and go to third. I think it's going to be a much tighter race this year. But to me, you look at Man City, you look at their comfort on the ball, you look at how many threats they have. Look at where the goals came from, Rob. Bernardo, Silver and Brad. These are not your number one and two options. They're not even your number two and three options. It is just such an impressive squad. They've got a way to play. They've got a manager who knows how to win a Premier League title. I wouldn't bet against them. Yeah, but the Champions League is their great white whale this season. That's the goal Pep is ultimately going to be judged on by his Manchester City paymasters. So we will see. We will see. Talking about Liverpool. Liverpool, they spanked West Ham 4-0. Jurgen Klopp's new signing take rock and roll football and turn it up to 11. And while Naby Keita impressed, the score sheet was a facsimile of seasons past and way past. Mo Salah scored, Rog. Sadio Mane had a brace, 12 goals in his last 17 Liverpool appearances. And Daniel Sturridge, Rog, capped the afternoon with a goal and by dusting off his signature dance. Liverpool, Rog, they're looking like they are ready to come at the King. <sighs> Coming at the King with huge money spent, $217 million 
and huge expectations that come with them. It's a whole new world at Liverpool Football Club this season. I mean, Klopp, who has been in his time in the Premier League about as cute as an Ewok, is suddenly about as cute as an Ewok who's been suddenly given the keys to a death start, which he must control and learn to live with. They are a big club now. This is a big squad. This is a squad that is aimed at doing one thing and one thing only, and that is having a serious charge at the Premier League title that has filled Liverpool fans' dreams for far too long. This, I guess, was the easiest of first hurdles. West Ham themselves still a team that are a work in progress after their own $130 million overhaul led, oh, it's good to have him back, by the recently exhumed father time, Manuel Pellegrini, who promised, he promised a return to the West Ham way. And it was, it was honestly weird. It was weird for at least 15 minutes to watch West Ham players actually pretend to give a crap. Wasn't used to that. But then Liverpool's movement, they're passing too much for them to keep up with. And who opened the scoring, Dave? It's like last season, all over again, Mo Salah. He's back, Rog. Any worries that uh, Liverpool fans had that that shoulder injury was going to like, you know, mean a different Mo Salah this season, or there'd be like a second season brilliant adjustment of Premier League defenders to know how to counter Mo Salah. Uh, wipes away, Rog. He's back, and he's gorgeous, and yeah. he's bouncy, and he's little. He's wonderful to see. A lot of lovely things about that goal, not least for Liverpool fans at debutant Naby Keita, the Ghanaian Steven Gerrard, in his legendary number eight jersey, is passing so sharp up the gut through the whole game, was the creator of the goal, flung it out to, to Robertson, who oh, crossed so beautifully. One of the most joyous men in football, Robertson, uh, setting up a tap-in for the Egyptian king. I've got to admit, part of me, let's call it Dart Rodge, had hoped a little bit that... Mo Salah would be maybe a one-season wonder. Like, uh, I remember watching the Orioles in 1996. Brady Anderson had just moved to DC, slapped out of nowhere. I think he'd hit 16 home runs a year before. He slapped 50 home runs in this just majestic Orioles season. And then he hit 18 the year after it. And I thought, maybe Mo will be the Egyptian Brady Anderson. But no, it's not to be. This gent is locked in. He's focused. Also, unlike Brady Anderson, he's not on the steroid drugs ease. And what was most noticeable, after Salah opened his account within 20 minutes of the season starting off, he celebrated with no fuss. He just calmly lifted a single finger into the air, back from that separated shoulder, and the resultant damp squib of a World Cup with a promise-filled menace that this goal, as his finger showed, is going to be the first of many. So Premier League defences be on notice. I'll, I'll say this about West Ham. A lot of teams are going to come to Anfield and get battered as West Ham did. But in truth, Liverpool didn't really have to get out of second gear to tear them apart. Liverpool have always been able to run up the score. But the coming games on the road against Palace, Leicester, Spurs and Chelsea should be played before we really start to get a measure of the Liverpool title chase. And it is Liverpool title chase or bust right this season, David. Well, yeah, once again, I think that you will see that if Liverpool don't win the title, but if they contend for the title against Manchester City, I think there will be, uh, Jurgen Klopp will, you know, take great pains to go and say that that's progress. It's forward, it's forward momentum for his club. If they, you know, win an FA Cup, if they win a, whatever they Capital One, Cup of the Cup, 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 Cup is going to be called this season. Uh, they'll take this progress. But for me, 
I think what Liverpool fans are expecting is a Premier League or a Champions League title this season. And the way they play offensively, um, you kind of think that they should be contending for that. Here's what I think is fascinating for Klopp this season. His whole career, he's made more with less. And he now has more for the first time, for the first time ever. And he's got to learn to operate with riches for the first time. Different weight of expectation. And most key, a different inability to shrug off losses. Like with that wink to the camera, that shrug, that laugh, that boom, that ha ha ha. He's now expected to win. It's not cute. I mean, this is a powerhouse. And how he keeps that squad focused, because that squad is fantastic. And how he keeps the fans and their expectations and the press and their scrutiny at bay in a different way than he has done in the past. Um, it's going to be truly fascinating to watch Klopp really in that crucible of pressure, title challenge or failure. Oh, Rog, Man United 2, Leicester 1. The, uh, the game that kicked off this Premier League season, Rog, this started on Friday afternoon. Man United with three points. They beat Leicester City 2-1, to one, a penalty from World Cup champion Paul Pogba and a goal from the man with orbs in the back of his drawers, Luke Shaw, put United 2-0 up. <laughs> Jamie Vardy, Jamie Vardy pulled one back in injury time. But despite the victory, still turbulent times at Old Rush. And so we enter what is known in the trade as Mourinho's famous third season at a club. The one in which he typically burns the whole place down. Usually, usually after winning something, Davo, in the first two years. And he's already begun this season by complaining about injuries, the lack of incoming transfers, and generally just inspiring United fans around the world by declaring... It will be a difficult season for us. I mean, does Mourinho have a point, Davo? You are a Mourinhoologist. Does he have a point, Davo, to go full-on dark night? Uh, you know what? It's almost pre-season, Rog. I felt that Jose was trying to blow it up before the third season even happened. There was part <laughs> of me that thought, he's just pushing Ed Woodward <laughs> to just fire him right now so that he can always be saying, I never got a chance to do my third season because I was fired like they're going to do the whole thing. He almost like he backed out of it. <laughs> That's like that meme of the uh, of the guy tapping his head in the uh, in the meme. Just that, yeah, how do you get round third season syndrome? How about not having a third season? Yeah, I, I gotta tell you though, Rog, I, in my I sort of feel like what everybody wants to hear is just piling on Jose Mourinho, and you know he's overrated. He's never gonna make it. He's gonna get fired. He's gonna blow it up. Manchester United is gonna be crap. And yet he knows how to fight a campaign. He did finish second last year, albeit way off the champions man city and you look at this squad you look at the team even the team that he himself doesn't seem to like very much both as a both as a squad a team and as a collection of individual players he doesn't seem to like any of them i still sort of feel that there's enough talent there both on the field and on the sideline that we underestimate jose Mourinho and manchester united at our peril Roger. yeah at our peril. yeah i mean you look at that united team I mean, for all the moaning, for all the dire warnings coming from Jose, you look at De Gea, Bailly, Pogba, Sanchez, Mata, Rashford, Fred, the new Fred. And you've got to say... Lindelof, the... Rod, who was amazing. He was outstanding in this game. There's a lot to like. There's a lot to like. You've got some self-sabotage. You've got the, the Pogba want away to Barcelona situation. Uh, if you're not happy, you cannot give your best. And that's going to be a degrading, flapping piece of narrative skin. And that was created undoubtedly by Mourinho's mishandling. In his mind, Man City won the Premier League title by a record 19 points and his team haven't done enough to close the gap. But 
there's a, a diehard United journalist, Daniel Harris, who, who kind of explained the Manchester United standoff with itself best to me. He wrote, the Pogba situation encapsulates what United are now, a board who can't and won't buy the reinforcements needed to keep him, a manager who can't and won't employ the style needed to keep him, and a player who hasn't done everything to get the best out of himself. It's all an avoidable mess. This game, though, was another stroll. I mean, it was a weekend of strolls. All the big five won. United had to wait an entire thrilling 90 seconds to get the game going here, winning a penalty. And we'll say the longest penalty I've ever seen. Captain Paul Pogba, the tiny jog towards the ball. Schmeichel staying upright. I've seen quicker chess matches. I think there should have been about 12 minutes of extra time added on at the end of the first half just for Pogba's run towards the ball. But normally an early goal opens up again. This one just closed it down because astonishingly, United just then sat back, seeding possession, letting Leicester onto them. United suddenly, they look worse than Omarosa. I mean, and this was at Old Trafford. Theatre of dreams that expects, longs, craves for entertaining attacking football. And it was all Leicester for huge chunks of the game. Yeah, you sound surprised though. This is, this is a Jose Mourinho team playing against Leicester, who are a team that they take you apart when you high press. They take you apart when you push your back line up because the ball goes over the top to Jamie Vardy. And as good as the Man United back line looks, I don't know how much speed is really there. And that's sort of why he played that way. But ultimately, Leicester definitely came on with a flurry uh, after that Man United goal. But Man United, as the second half went on, just seemed to establish more and more and more uh, control over the game. And I was, honestly, I was drooling over some of those, how comfortable some of those United players looked on the ball. Once again, a team not ready. This is a team not prepared for the season. They're still awaiting some of their players who, who came back to training late. And surely guys like Pogba must be exhausted after his exertion uh, this summer. So too early to tell, but like that's the three points on the first uh, day of the season, Rog, that you know, Man United fans will take. Yeah, we'll say that the, the Leicester punched themselves out ultimately. Their, their, their threat, once James Madison departed, probably to write the long-awaited sequel to the Federalist Papers, that Leicester yeah. offered little. The game kind of began, as you say, to scream a late United winner. We should note it because it came from the most crazy, unusual source of all. Yeah, I know you're listening, Luke Shaw. You human pinata, you. I mean, that was an amazing moment. Luke Shaw scored a fascinating goal. He lost control, recovered, slapped the ball home expertly. That was a man who's been the punch bag for all the Mourinho's frustration last season. Slapped it past Schmeichel. And Mourinho just went into Jose Gasm on the sideline. And you just realised he was saying to his coaches, like, you see, when I called him fatty, <laughs> when I bullied him, when I made him cry in front of all the other players, that's great man management. You could just tell that was just Jose vindicating Jose, right? Yeah, totally. And to be fair, that is Luke Shaw's first goal in the Premier League uh, for any club, um, you know, state to two, Southampton and Man United. And that it was a... It was a great goal. I felt like NBC were being a little unkind to him, saying it was completely unintentional. I thought that was arguably, maybe, maybe I'm being too generous to like an amazing little touch yeah. that he took uh, first time off the bounce and finished it and screamed, and "Daddy, goal. you and can't suddenly, call me fatty anymore!" Uh, yeah, suddenly, Sonny Mourinho has a has a left back, yeah, and uh, a very good left back. Yeah, this was the perfect win for Jose. I mean, it wasn't too emphatic that he can't pretend to still be angry with his board. 
but those three points will fend off the narrative of United in a tailspin kind of crisis. Much of that tailspin self-imposed by Mourinho himself. But, oh, Mourinho is as Mourinho does, which is a great segue to Chelsea, David. Huddersfield nil, Chelsea three. New manager Maurizio Sarri, Rob, sees his Chelsea side cleave their way through David Wagner's carriers in his first game in charge. Goals from the human smile that is N'Golo Kante. This is what Sarri ball is. It's opening up Kante to be your leading scorer. A deliciously <laughs> cheeky penalty from debutant Jorginho. And little tiny Pedro Rod Moore is so cute and they're young. Provide some tranquility in what's been a summer filled with exit pleas and passport problems at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, farewell Antonio Conte. Your title winning season with your then record 30 wins, now a distant memory. Ditched belatedly with the Kurt official club message. We wish Antonio every success in his future career. So a new era dawns for Chelsea Football Club, Davo. You've now got a sour-looking Mauricio Sarri as your 14th coach of the Roman Abramovich era, the spinal tap mm-hmm. drummer of management jobs. How are you feeling, Davo? I mean, look, I tweeted earlier in the summer when Antonio was finally let go that I've, I've, I've struggled a little bit over... Uh, the last month with my relationship with Chelsea Football Club and sort of how I feel about what's going on. Um, it's almost, I almost watched this game, Rod, dispassionately, <gasps> objectively, and I actually quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed it for that reason. So I sort of came up with the whole thing. It's like it was trying to analyze what the feeling was. It was just like watching a band you love work out new material, but you really care about the old songs. You don't really care about the new material, but you want to give them a chance to go <laughs> and, and take a look at it. You know, some of my favorite players were playing. Eden Hazard came on and he was spectacular. I thought for Jorginho, this was, you know, and it feels quite stealth because he didn't get a lot of press when he came over. But Jorginho, that was a pretty amazing performance for his first ever game in the Premier League, Rog. You're starting to get glimpses of what Sarri Ball is. They're nowhere near ready. But Chelsea, you know, we're talking about Man United squad earlier. Chelsea have got a lot of good players. It's going to be interesting watching them experiment this new form of football uh, that they're going to play. I'm not sure that they have all the right players to play under this system. Um, it's going to be interesting to see you know, how Marcus Alonso, how Victor Moses can adjust to the way that they're going to be expected to play. Good result. Was it a really convincing performance? No. Was it a good result? Yes. Did Chelsea look like they're going to be able to contend against Man City, uh, Liverpool, Man United, Tottenham? I don't think so. But I think they might be quite fun to watch. I love watching Sarri. He looks like he's straight out of central casting of one of those like Netflix Italian dramas like Gamora. He's definitely like the 100% that like the mafia accountant or, or the extra in the prison scene of The Sopranos. He shaves the garlic with the razor blade before he makes the pasta. But he is a fascinating character. He's a former banker who never played professionally. He's a five-pack-a-day smoker who just loves his attacking football like he loves his ciggies. He's meant to be a training ground tyrant, which you loved when Conte came in. Sounds like he's proper Chelsea to me, as is the fact that Gianfranco Zola, your beloved Gianfranco, has returned, the Chelsea legend, to be his assistant. I don't understand why there's been a void at the heart of your club for six months with this Antonio Conte just prolonged breakup. It's been it, it's incredibly self-destructive. Um, and I don't think anyone really understands why it wasn't filled quicker. And what's fascinating is you can make the case not losing Willian and Hazard and adding Jorginho and your new keeper, $116 million keeper, is winning. Mm-hmm. 
But what, what is the goal for the season, David? I don't know what Chelsea's stated goal or what Roman Abramovich's stated goal. I think as a Chelsea fan, I'd just like to see them play half-decent football and uh, be a little bit better than last year. I think making Champions League has got to be their goal. They finished fifth last season. Uh, they've got to try to meet fourth. I don't know that they have what it takes to take you know, what I clearly, to me, four better, more equipped squads uh, in front of them. Perhaps do a little bit better in, like, you know, maybe win the Europa League again, Rog. That will probably matter to them this season. It will be very good experimentation for Sarri Ball, Rog, to go and play on that stage. Some good clubs in Europa to play this season. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little lost with Chelsea, Rog, like I said. I don't really know what we're trying to achieve anymore because every time we win the Premier League, we seem to fire the manager who gets us there. I'll say this. The one worry I have about Chelsea is your managerial goal celebrations. I mean, when, when N'Golo Kante scored, Sarri just extended his arms for one second and then turned around grimly, probably to try and find um, a packet of cigarettes in the back of the, uh, of the dugout. He's got, he's got, he's just got to work on his sellies. I mean, Antonio Conte... Well, maybe not, Rog. Anto- yeah, for our sake, because Antonio Conte going ape crap crazy, hugging fans, slapping his assistants. That was half of our show last season. I know, but it didn't help him keep his job. Maybe the only way you keep your job is to not celebrate. That might be, that, that's the one thing. I don't think we tried a lot. Gossiping didn't celebrate a lot. I don't know. Maybe but you, you, you've got to, maybe this is Sarri, this is what he's doing. We need to get tape of how he celebrated at Napoli. Maybe, maybe he's not a celebrator and he's just doing what he's normally oh, doing. We're effed. We're we'll effed. See, Tottenham. Yeah, Newcastle won Tottenham. Two, Rog, after being the first team since the 2002 transfer window's introduction not to sign a new player during this window. Spurs start the season with a win. Tottenham, big Belgian Jan Vertonghen hit first in the eighth minute with goal line technology, Rog. Wrists in the air, confirming his header across the goal line by an entire nine millimetres. Hosselu hit back for the tune just 149 seconds later. Great goal. But an 18th minute Delhi goal, Rog, proved the winner and helped assuage, at least temporarily, some of those North London transfer window worries. Yeah, it's oddly nervy times at Spurs. A squad that was already talent-rich, but lacking in depth, has gotten no deeper. And the components that we revere, they've all been run ragged. So you've got the feel-good. You've got Toby going nowhere. The loss of no key stars. You've got the new stadium on the near horizon. Please, God, opening Sometime soon, it's just been pushed as we pod uh, to later in the year or early in 2019. But the fear of following that Arsenal model of a new stadium that hampers the development of the squad, that's kind of lingering amongst Spurs fans. The worry that Spurs could actually become what they hate, the new Arsenal, a financially robust team that don't try and win the league, but just aspire to be top four regulars. That's the fear, isn't it, David? Oh, absolutely. You know, this is a team where at this moment with a, with a superb goal scorer, with lots of other stars, this is the moment where they've got to, like, win trophies or at least one trophy. This is a big moment. This stadium announcement is, I think, devastating because this is the thing that's standing in their way this season, this new stadium. And it's just got to be a worry. Just the uh, Daniel Levy must be going insane about it. Yeah, their stadium and that new green third kit, which GFOP at Boiler Tricia called the colour Spurs Quoise, but I just thought it was the worst green I've seen since since Julian. Good Julian! OK, uh, Roger, now to some of the other action. Bournemouth 2, Cardiff City nil. a 24th-minute goal from Furry Boots, City's finest. That's Aberdeen, Rog Ryan, Weeman Fraser, and a Callum Wilson injury time clincher. See, boyish Eddie Howe take three 
point of not so boyish Neil Warnock and our old friend and Jersey Titan to Panther aficionado owner Vinny Tan. And Cardiff City's return to the Premier League, big cock, Rog. Yeah, I just say I was there in Cardiff this time last week as I was in Fulham and Wolverhampton filming the second season of The Promoted, which is going to run on NBC Sports at the end of this month. The interview I taped with Cardiff's much maligned, controversial, unfashionable, but really quite fascinating, Neil Warnock. Think Bob Huggins if he was a Premier League coach. We're going to release that as a podcast really soon because it's one of the best I've done. It, it was about life more than football. So brace yourselves for Cardiff. Brace yourself for the Neil Warnock podcast and just Google Neil Warnock halftime speeches while you wait. You won't be sorry. Okay, Fulham, Neil. Crystal Palace 2, an opening weekend London derby, Rogers. Roy Hodgson's men, congratulations on the new contract, Roy. Get one over on transfer window vacuum, newly promoted uh, Fulham. Goals from Jeffrey Schluck and half-man, half-amazing Wilfred Zaha on either side of half-time. See Palace claim all three points and equal their point total from the first eight games of last season. Oh, 37 more points, Leroy. Just 37, mate. Watford 2, Brighton nil. The Orms win comfortably. Thanks to a brace from former Juventus man, Argentine, Roberto Pereira. Not a great start for the season for Chris Hooten's men, who failed to test new Watford keeper Ben Foster, not registering a single shot on target. Shots are overrated, bro. Southampton nil, Burnley nil. The Danny Ings derby end fittingly goalless. <laughs> to be fair, the new Saints striker did add a spark when he came on as the second half side, but he couldn't find a way past new Claret keeper, the one and only Joe Clean Sheet Hart. <laughs> Wolves 2, Everton 2, Rog. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rog Arlison era is officially underway in Goodison. Your man, Rog, he scores a brace on his Everton debut, but heavily resourced new boys Wolves fielded half of Portugal to find a way back into the game twice and take a point off Everton on opening day as an ebullient Molyneux. Rog, how did you experience this game? Oh, Dave, Dave, a beautiful point, a beautiful shiny point, an enormous, gigantic point of hope. I'll just say, I don't like to be hyperbolic, but transfer deadline day was my single best 24 hours since I was sworn <laughs> in as an American citizen. We pulled in tiny little Bernard. We pulled in Yerry Mina. Yeah, we'll have some Andre Gomez. Yeah, and I do know, before you all tweet me, they are two of those are essentially Barcelona's worst players. But they came in on top of Rich Arlison and Lucas Dinier. I just genuinely cannot remember a season starting with so much, just so much beautiful, ill-placed false hope. And this game, this game, Rich Arlison, Richard Arlison, Dickie Arlison. Why is there no statue of you built by Dixie Dean outside of Goodison Park already? You laughed when we signed him for five years for $140,000, having paid $56 million to Watford. You, you, you <laughs> scorned us. You, you pilloried us. I mean, Everton need to pay a premium to attack true talent. I mean, beautiful talent. We're outside the European places. All that, we have to pay extra. But my God, Davo, his first shot as an Evertonian, and I just say, bury me now, kill me now. It's just, it was ecstasy. Yeah, no, amazing performance from Richarlison uh, in his uh, in his one game for Everton Rod. And his we'll career. See how this his career. His career. Uh, it, could, it could be Kurt Zuma 
who uh, becomes the leading we'll uh, your leading scorer. Yeah, join us. Season, but... We're a big we're a big ten at Everton. There was a blip, and we do need a zoomer because old Yeller Phil Jags. He did get sent off. Yeah. I mean, when I saw that Phil Jags still <laughs> is playing for Everton Football Club in. In, really, in the 21st century, it's shocking that he's still playing. He did fulfill my worst scenario, got sent off for four, after 40 minutes, leading to the equaliser. It all felt like Everton's ability to self-sabotage and just be genuinely screwed over was already in mid-season form. But I'm just so used to seeing Everton collapse, David, just wilt and under Big Sam. We, we, we set up to play dire defensive football, even at home against Huddersfield. You know, we were so dark and, and negative and pessimistic. But this is the Marco Silver age, and even with ten men, he played to win. It was remarkable. It was like watching. It was like watching people heal the sick, Davo, before my eyes, just speak in tongues. And Everton that still charge at their opponents and be rewarded by. I don't want to go off on this, and maybe I need to start my own Rich Allison podcast separate for Rich Allison fanboys. An artful moment. An artful moment. We don't have many at Everton. We didn't have any last season of individual skill and just brilliant mischief. As soon as he got the ball, he knew what he was going to do. We didn't have it at all for an entire season. And I just, Rich Arla dad, I know you listen. Rich Arla mum, I know you listen too. I love, I love the Rich Arlison that you have created. He is perfect. He is perfect. The kind of Everton player that we covet the fast-paced, risk-taking winger, the entertainer who dazzles, Dave Thomas, Pat Nevin, Andre Kanchelska, Stephen Pienaar, Seamus Coleman, Landon. I know you're listening. It should have been you. It should have been you. Yeah, Raul Jimenez, the Mexican, 3 million-plus followers on Twitter, dwarfs walls, 340,000. He did knock home an equaliser. But I'd say this, just watching Everton players smile on the field together, I didn't think I'd live to see the day. <laughs> Okay, number one, I actually don't have any other points. It's really the only point I've got. Number one, the therapy's really working, Rog, whatever it is, because this, this glass half full, this like positive, this optimistic new Roger yeah. about Everton. Yeah. Yes, you did tweet during the game, Everton's capacity for self-sabotage. It's like always, uh, it's just always there. It's just always there. Yeah. Yes, Jags is red card, although I actually think it was all questionable. I thought it was it was a... It was a, but it was Jag, you know, certainly affected the game. We will see, Roger, just like you talked about for Liverpool, there's no hiding this season. I think now, with the amount of money that Everton have spent, there's no hiding for Everton this season. You predicted them to go have a top four finish. I predicted them for a top four finish, quite frankly, because having spent that money, this is, I think, the least you can expect from your uh, from your beloved trophy. So let's see. Don't trap me. Don't ensnare me. Don't ensnare me in your traps. I love. I love your optimism, Rob. It's just—it's nice to hear you being so bright and cheerful. Just bring Wayne back. Just bring Wayne team. back, and everything <laughs> is possible. <laughs> yeah, you might need him, Rog. Okay, it's time to close the first part of the new season with a shot of Jägermeister, Roger. Shot that clearly we've established has prophetic powers. Let us use it this week to make top four predictions for the season ahead, Rogelio. Even though I sort of uh, just gave an indication of what they were. Oh, here we go. <laughs> that is oh, the Jägermeister. I think this may be the same bottle we had with Wacker Flocker. It's a Jägermeister that empowers prophecy. It's my favourite way to end the show with a shot oh, of oh, the greatest thing out of Germany since Leroy Sané. And the Jägermeister tells me, Dave, your champions of Manchester City again. Liverpool, Valiant, Tottenham, you're in there. I do think, Dave, and I said this before 
the weekend. I'm going to stick with it because I like to be consistent. Fourth place, Arsenal. I really think it's going to be Everton, but I said they'd be fourth last season and we ended up with big bloody Sam. So I'm not talking about that publicly or exposing my real feelings. I know what your real feelings are. You've told people now. Uh, Rog, I'm with you. Man City in first place. Liverpool uh, in second, just pitting Man United in what I think is going to be a much closer title race. I'm going with Everton, Rog. With that money spent, all of these players, all of these forces, I think Tottenham having spent no money in the, in the transfer window uh, and the new stadium was Arsenal uh, and Chelsea working out new material under new management. I think Everton have got to lead what I think will be a peloton, Rog, in fourth place. OK, your upcoming Premier League weekend looks like this. Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time, Rog, it's Chelsea versus Arsenal from Stamford Bridge on Network NBC. <laughs> Play the old hit! Then Sunday, both Manchester teams in action as City host Huddersfield and United travel to Brighton at 11 a.m. Both of those games are on NBCSN. And in MLS, Rog, next Sunday on Fox Sports 1, it's DC United, Wayne Rooney United versus New England in a game for which you will actually be in attendance as we head to Monday night's second annual Men in Blazers inauguration in Washington, D.C. at a very special venue, which will be announced later this week for security reasons. And we'll have a drink after that show. Come be with us, producer J-Dubs, producer John Johnson. It's going to be, it's going to be something at D.C. United Sunday night. Uh, there are many other ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men and Blazers Bald Mart. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Bald Mart, we get a tiny percentage that allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Roger? A book. Oh, a Lucky Man by Jamel Brinkley. His debut short story collection, Nine Tales, all of which look at the state of masculinity, love, death, meaning, machismo, hopes and dreams, all of which makes it sound just like, you know, why I watch football. But this book is even more than that. It's brilliant, deft, smouldering examination, pretty much of all we repress in order to function and occasionally what happens when all of that is forced to bubble to the surface. It's magic. Yes, Rog. Uh, you know what? I needed a bit of a lift this morning. I've been overwhelmed. I've been stressed. I've oh. got a lot going on. In my, uh, in my work life, Rog, and I've been like, I've, I know I should be more excited at the beginning of the Premier League season, but it just, it's come, just like for Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester, <laughs> Tottenham, Liverpool, Rog, it's come a little bit too early for me. I was feeling a little bit stressed. I was feeling a little bit down, which, you know, Dave, I never feel down. I'm always up. I'm always optimistic. I'm always positive. Oh, and I just needed a bit of a lift. And I'm going to recommend a song, Rog, something we don't do very often. I know we do our playlist, but a song that I remember when I was 16 years old, I was playing a tennis tournament in La Boule, France, and I befriended a bunch of uh, Dutch girls, Rog, and I used to drive around, they had driver's licenses, and we used to drive around in their car, and they had these amazing stereo systems, and we would blast records with these Dutch girls who were so cool. And uh, there was a song by Earth, Wind & Fire. It's, it's not one of the famous songs. It's not September. It's not one of the, not one of the huge Earth, Wind & Fire hits. It's still kept it's alive Earth, by Bomitzvahs. Oh, Earth, Wind and Fire, you are a winner. It is just, it is, this song is Peak Devo. And even Peak Devo sometimes needs a lift, Roger. If you're ever feeling down, if any of you now listening to the pod feel like you need something to lift you up, you are a winner by Earth, Wind and Fire is the song. You've got to download, you've got to purchase it, you've got to stream it. Just go and buy it. Go and buy the 12-inch single on vinyl, Roger. It is just 
the perfect song. It lifted me. It powered me. And I was back into like, I need another billion dollar idea. Oh, mate, Earth, Wind and Fire is your first World War poetry. That's what I read when I'm down. Much prefer your approach to life, David. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Men and Blazers at Embassy Davis at Rob Bennett on Instagram at Men and Blazers at Embassy underscore Davis uh, on Facebook. Uh, that's just Men in Blazers. You can send your uh, ravings to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com and buy our book, Rog, for yourself or your new football-loving friends who've just discovered this young uh, player playing at MLS, Wayne Rooney. <laughs> Encyclopedia Blazer Tanaka, available at all good booksellers and the crap ones, Rog, including uh, something that rhymes with Amazon. It's everything we know about football, and some other parts of life, and is shockingly longer than three pages. Vendapunk, Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex the tumble? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fighting America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. And I can't wait to see you, Washington, D.C.